Hope you guys are doing well. We are in a series called The Seven I Am's of Christ. You know, if I could learn about the personalities of Jesus, about how, who he was and how he talked, wouldn't that be a, if you could take a personality test and give it to Jesus and he would take it, that'd be a good thing, right? If you get that, you have it. It's in John chapter 6 through 15. John chapter 6 through 15. So let's look at this. We are in the third week, so we're in John chapter 10. We've already looked at a couple of the I am's. This is the third I am of Christ. Now, this is unique in that he's going to give I am the door, which is what we're going to talk about today. And then a couple of verses later, he's going to say, I am the good shepherd, which will be next week. But to understand John 10, 1 through 9, you have to understand the previous chapter because it's all about the previous chapter that sets this up. So what happened? How did the previous chapter come together? Let me just give you a synopsis. Jesus is walking and sees a blind man. The Bible says he's blind from birth. The disciples look at him and say, did this man sin or his parents said he's born like that? They said, no, 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 no. Jesus said, no, no. It rains on the just and unjust alike. This is a fallen world. This is a fallen world. There may be sin upon you that wasn't your fault. There may be physical issues that were not your fault. This is a fallen world. So he says, neither, but so that God will be glorified. Watch. He raises him up, makes paste, says, go wash in the, in the pool of Shalom. He goes wash, he's healed. So he goes back home, right? He can see he's been blind since birth. He goes home. Well, if a blind guy goes into his neighborhood and he's driving, your, and he's driving a car down the street, you're going to pay attention, right? <laughs> Something's changed. So he, he can see. So all his neighbors want to know what's going on, all of these things. So they are so enamored by it. What do they want to do? It's a good thing. His neighbors want the spiritual leaders to know so God can be glorified. So his neighbors bring him to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, in good intentions, but it doesn't go well. In fact, it goes very bad. They say, what happened? Well, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I see. Who saved you? I mean, who, who made you see? Jesus. So they get all upset. They're having issues because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. They've already had a lot of issues with Jesus. So then they pull his parents into the mess. So they pull his parents in and they say, okay, is this your son? Yep. Was he born blind? Yep. How did he get, how did he get his sight? We don't know. We don't know what it is. Now his parents, got ups- they, his parents were afraid of the Jews. They're afraid of being excommunicated. So they knew who Jesus was. They knew because their, their son told them. They kind of bowed out on that one. So they kind of leave him to his own. They ask him, they, they say, look, he's of age, just ask him. This boy is probably a teenager. He's at least 12, we know that. He's, he's called a man of age. So he's probably a young man, 16, 17, 18, around that. He wouldn't be a man with a beard at 30 years old. They wouldn't have brought his parents in. So this is kind of the age that he is. Those real formidable years, the identity years, right, that's going on. So let's read 9.35 of John, chapter 9.35-38, so we can understand exactly where this is. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. They cast this kid out of the temple. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. This is his conversion experience right here. 
Belief in the person and work of Jesus, worship follows. You want to find someone who gives their life to Jesus? Worship always follows. Amen. It always follows someone who has encountered God. So all of this is set up so that now we understand the picture. The Pharisees are right there. They say, look, they're blind. The whole Jesus goes back and forth with them. Starts in verse 10. Okay, so John 10, 1. Now we kind of understand all this picture. We're to our text. Okay, you've got some notes there. Let's learn something from the Word of God. Let's learn something that will feed us, that will encourage us. Let's learn something about our Savior Jesus. John 10, 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in, climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. He's looking at these Pharisees. He's talking to the, the boy who was once blind. And he's, he's, he's really separating it here and saying, listen, I know these men put you out, but they're thieves and robbers. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of a stranger. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. I am so glad for verse 7. Oh, I am so glad. Look at someone and say, I'm glad for verse 7. You ever done anything for Jesus? You ever served the Lord? You ever read the Bible? You ever, you ever did any seeking? And you didn't understand the first time or it didn't go well the first time or you tried to do anything for his name and it just didn't work. Right. You have verse seven. Then Jesus said to them again. It's okay that they didn't understand the first time. God is not an eye rolling God. He's not a sighing God. That's a human emotion, right? You know it. That's anthropomorphism. That's when we put human emotions and human traits to non-human things, right? Like when Disney makes you swear that that lion's alive and you're like crying when the lion dies even though it's just a cartoon, right? All right, look, everyone just admit we all cried when he died, okay? Just say it. When Mufasa died, we cried. Everybody did. That's anthropomorphism. We do not put our human sighs and eye rolls and frustrations that we struggle with in our flesh and humanity to the sinless Son of God. He doesn't struggle with that. He's perfect in all things. So when they didn't understand and the complexities of the Pharisees right there and this blind man who's just been rejected, who's been put out by the spiritual leaders, when he just didn't understand, his heart was broken and hurt, and Jesus is saying, I'm the door. These guys are thieves, but I'm the door. You come to me, and you'll be able to enter. When they didn't understand, he said, okay. Like a good father, come on, parents, when the kids don't get it, if you'll just reword it a little bit, let me say it a little different. It wasn't wrong the first time, but I'm going to clarify it. Amen? Y'all with me? Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 
All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Let's just give the the word of God an amen. Just say amen. Oh, that means let it be so. That means, oh, yes, I agree. Let's just let the word of God amen you on that one. Whoever comes to him will be saved and will come in and out and find pasture. All right, so this is a familiar tune in the ears of, of Israelites. This is a herding community. There's sheep everywhere. They have to have a lot of sheep just for the temple. They're in Jerusalem. So when he starts saying, talking about sheeps and gates, it's like us just sitting there talking about how it's hot and humid, but the fall's coming and we'll eat some shrimp po'boys and have some crawfish and everything will be good. Every, that, was a better, <laughs> that was a better amen than the other one. Yes, they understood when he said, listen, I'm the gate of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. They understood this language. God always speaks the language you understand. He'll always speak to you in ways you can comprehend. Some people really, God just speaks to them every time out of the word. Some people have dreams and visions, words of wisdom and knowledge. God speaks in creation. He speaks all these different ways. He's going to speak in a way that's clear to his hearers. All right, so let's look at this and let's break this down. Verse 4. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. He brings out his sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now, what does that mean? What's that picture there? So in Israel at this time, many flocks stayed in one pen. They would make pens of stone usually, sometimes of wood, but stone was more common. So had this big pen where multiple flocks would go into one pen at night to keep them from robbers, to keep them from getting eaten by wolves and stuff. So when the shepherd wanted to call out his own sheep, he wouldn't have to go and do all the separating and run cattle gates and all that. No, they were smarter than that. They would train those sheep to hear the voice of the shepherd. So that shepherd could step up, although there were 500 sheep in there, and he only needed 50, he would call, 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 and his 50 would come. Now the reason is, they would train them to hear their voice, but sheep were different than what we're thinking. We're thinking like cattle, right? Sheep were more like dogs and cats even back then, because they named them individually. They would name all the sheep. Bob, Frisky, Fluffy, Cookie, whatever it is. They would name those sheep. And so he, if there was one or two that weren't listening to just the general call, he could call them specifically. He would call that sheep, and then it would come like that. And this is the way it was in this culture. So let's look at this. He, and when he brings out his own sheep, so he's brought out the, his own sheep, he goes before them. That is big Big words. Those are big words. He goes before them. He doesn't push them. He doesn't drive them. The good shepherd leads them. And he's already gone and he already knows the way. 
So he doesn't lead them into temptation. He doesn't lead them into fear. He doesn't lead them into failure. He does not lead them into harm. He knows the way and he has gone before them. What kind of a picture is this? This is actually an Old Testament picture. And we find the answer in Deuteronomy 1.26. Look at someone on, say, I love Deuteronomy. Come on, I love it. Come on, I, I love, oh, give me some Deuteronomy. That's what I just want to do, a Bible study in Deuteronomy for the next year. Hey, you need to love Deuteronomy. Love Leviticus, love it all. It's the word of God. It will change your life. Let's look at this. Deuteronomy 1, 26. We're going to read 26 to 33. This is Moses talking at the end of his ministry to the, the people of Israel, God's people. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord. Not go up where? I've already delivered you from Egypt. The promised land is waiting. You just trust me and go. They struggled, though. And you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us. That's rejection. That's fear. That is a lie. There is no God who delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians by a mighty hand, was patient with them, and then they're proclaiming that he hates us. He has brought us, because he hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites and to, to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakim, that's the giants there. Then I said to you, then I said to you, God speaking, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God, what does that next thing say right there? Who goes before you? That sounds just like the door. That sounds just like Jesus, the good shepherd. That, that's the same words. God has already prepared. God has already planned. You follow the leader. He goes before you. He never leaves nor he forsakes you. It's fear that's kept you in this wilderness for 40 years. Come out of that. He goes before you. He will fight for, for, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. The same miracle God that was in Egypt will be the same miracle God in the desert, will be the same miracle God in the next season of your life, the promised land, if you will trust him and not live in fear. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a man carries his own son, in all the way that you went until you came to this place, yet for all that you did, Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. Number one in your notes. Fear is not the normal condition of his sheep. He has gone before you. He has prepared the way. In fact, your days are ordered. 
Your steps are ordered, right? Is that what the Bible says? So fear is not a condition of Christians. Amen? Do not let fear be a regular condition in your life. We all have trauma times, emergency times, things that happen that would try to get fear to grip us, a bad doctor report, your boss saying there's cutbacks. That's normal. But that's not your normal condition. You push that on and say, no, no. There's a God who goes before me. Amen? There's a God who has gone and prepped and planned. He's the good shepherd, and he goes before me to lead me. He doesn't lead me to destruction. He leads me to green pastures. He leads me to the promised land. He leads me through the blood of Jesus. Fear is not the normal condition of his sheep. No, no, never. Say never. All right. Look at one more scripture in Psalm 95 on this fear topic. 95, 7 through 10. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts. Okay, what is it? What does that mean to harden a heart? What does it look like for us to have a hard heart? As in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation. And I said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. Fear is what they dealt with. They could not trust him. Fear gripped them because of the cities, because of the, the obstacles in front of them. And they lived there the rest of their life. But that's not us. Amen. That's not you. That's not the, the spirit of God that lives on the inside of you. For he has not given you a spirit of Fear, but of love, joy, peace, and a sound mind. I told you we can't get a week, can't go a week without some kind of kid illustration. I got five kids, right? So I was having a conversation with one of them, and they did not believe that that I had this plan for them. I said, okay, look, this is what we're going to do. It's going to be good. Like, oh, wait, wait, hold on, Daddy. No, 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 I don't think that's going to work because of this or that. And I went back and forth and went back and forth. Finally, I convinced them. I was like, oh, my goodness, Lord. Is this the feeling you have when we doubt the goodness of the Lord for, our, for his children? Because they just went back and forth. They went back and forth. It took so much convincing to believe I had a good plan. I had a good plan for them. I think that's the most frustrating for, thing for me as a parent. I think for the father that we would say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to doubt your goodness. I'm not going to live in fear in any possible way. All right. So we have this beautiful picture of Jesus. Now, remember, who's he talking to? Who's the primary focus of this story we're reading? The young blind man, right? The man who's just seen the man who's never seen a bad look before. He doesn't know what anger on a face looks like or rejection. As beautiful as the colors are and everything he can see so wonderful, also he got the weed and the tears. He got the ugly too. So he's dealing with all of these things, and Jesus says, look, you're going to focus right here on me, and I'm going to talk to you, those young tender eyes, and I'm going to tell you you're not going to live a life of fear. 
Let's watch a short video. So is it really true that the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and the voice of a stranger they not follow? Is this like just a story? Is it hyperbole? Like, is that really true that Jesus, when he said that it was true in their life? Let's watch this video and find out. One more time. doesn't exaggerate. Nothing we read in the word, when, when we hear his words, it's not an exaggeration. It is true in every way. Let's keep looking at this. So not only is fear not a part of our condition, let's keep looking. We're in John 10. Verse 7. Let's, let's read 6 and 7 together. Jesus used the illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again. I have been on an again kick for like all year. You can turn those light, house lights all the way up. I've been on an again kick all year because I've been realizing and learning in the Bible how many agains there are. How many agains there are in the Bible. It's over and over. If you want to do anything for God in your life, if you want to do anything for the Lord, you're going to have to do it more than once. It's, in the, it's all throughout the Bible. And Jesus does it again for them. Then Jesus said again. I want to show you something correlating this in the Old Testament. Okay, so everybody knows uh, when the Ten Commandments were given, Moses is on the Mount Sinai. He comes down. He sees the children of Israel have already made a golden calf, have already um, in fear. They separated it. They got Aaron to, to, to make the calf. They, well, we don't know what has come of this man. Give us some kind of supernatural power in this mess of life. That was their issue. Give us something higher than I that's bigger than us that we can follow because we don't know what happened to Moses. We know he was a man of God. We know that God was with him, but we don't know what happened to him. He's been on that mountain over 40 days. Give us something. That's the heart cry of the lost. That's the heart cry of the condition of man. Give me something that is higher than me. 
that will stop the madness that's going on, that will stop this fear. So unfortunately, they made the golden calf. Moses comes down. He sees it. Y'all know the story, or if you've seen the four-hour movie from like 1950, he smashes them, right? In the movie, he smashes them on the golden calf. So he smashes them. Well, that's Exodus 19. Then he's going to go all the way through. In Exodus 33, they have been there a year and a half. And God says, okay, get them ready to leave in verse chapter 33. And you come up to the mountain in chapter 34. I'm going to give you these again. And I want to show you in Exodus 34 the nature of God here, how good he is. Exodus 34, 1 through 6. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. And I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither the flocks nor herds feed before the mountain. Wait, got sheep right there in this whole story here. Before the mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. All right. Now, if you remember the first time the Lord descended on a cloud and the 70 elders and Moses and Joshua went up a part, part of the way. They encountered God and then Moses had to go up by himself. And that was the cloud, right? This is a little different. This is a, the same God, but this encounter is different than the first one. Look at verse 5. Now the Lord descended in the cloud. Didn't say that last time. It just said the cloud came. And stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Okay. Verse 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. What is he going to proclaim? After the sin of Israel, after Moses has to do this again, after he's teaching Moses to be patient with these people and to love them. And if you're going to shepherd these people, these new knucklehead sheep, what is he going to have to do and what is he going to have to be like? What is the nature of God, not just in John 10, but all the way through eternity? Verse 6, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness. The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. I'm going to tell you. When you read John 10, understand that it's the same God who came to Moses, who came a second time, is that right? Who came again, and he said, I'm going to tell you, my mercy has not run out. My patience and my long-suffering has not run out on these people. See, we think about Israel in such a negative term, and it was wrong, right? They were wrong and they were sin, but he loved them. 
They were his children. And he gets there, and after Moses must be fuming, after all the sin of Israel, all these things that happened, and he gets to them, he should be angry. His, his, and he was wrathful and angry. His anger has been consumed by his mercy, grace, long-suffering. Maybe your Bible says patience and abounding in goodness and truth. Number two on your notes. The good shepherd is full of patience for his sheep. He's full of it. He's not full of eye rolls. He's not full of sighs. Not full of tapping feet or looking at the water. That's anthropomorphism. That's a human emotion. That's not God. Now listen to me, dear people who are here. I love you all. You may have grown up, and that was what people told you about God. That's the way your father was, and that's the way you think the heavenly father is. That's a lie. God loves you, and he is patient and long-suffering. And when you come to, to him, he will never give you an eye roll, and he will never sigh at you. He will never give you, gosh, you failed this time. He's perfect heavenly father, and he will take you in, and when you get on your knees and you say, forgive me, he will embrace you fully. Amen? You've got to get that, that mentality out of your mind because that's not the God we serve. I am showing you Exodus, the law, the wrath, people say. That's not what this says. He said, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and long-suffering, full of mercy and truth. And that's what we need to understand. He is full of patience for his sheep. He's full of patience for his sheep. You know, this is the text right here. If you read just a few verses, we're not going to put it on the screen, but you can read it where Moses' face was glowing. Remember, he came down and the people, whoa, we got to put a veil over this guy. Why was his face glowing like that? Now, I'm just going to suggest this is not doctrine. This is not for sure. This person who stood before Moses, it seems to be Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus. And in fact, how in the world is a man's face supposed to glow? He don't have that unless he's been with the one whose face shines like the sun in noonday, according to Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Revelation 1.16. The only time we see a man in the figure of a man and his face is shining like that, that's, the, that's God. That's Jesus. And it seems like Jesus came down. And said, I'm going to tell you about the mercy of God. And when Moses got off that mountain, he was shining like Jesus, the person, our Savior. All right, let's keep looking here. One last point. Verse 9. John 10, verse 9. The great proclamation. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Okay. So if Jesus is speaking in first century Israel and says, I am the door, what's the question? What does a door look like in Israel? What is it made out of? What does it look like? What picture is that Jesus is painting? So what does the door look like for those sheep? The trick question or play on words. In that culture, there was no door. How do you keep the sheep in? There's no door. 
At night when they put all the sheep into the pen, there was never any door over the entrance. It was only the shepherd who would lay his body in the entranceway with his staff in his hand. And on one side, he loved and kept the sheep in and protected. And on the other side was his staff that would keep all robbers, all those who wanted malicious intent on those sheep at bay. You see, Jesus went to a hill called Calvary. Everything's about the gospel and about Jesus. Jesus stretched out his own body and said, I'm the door. Whoever enters this way will come in and out and find pasture. It was him who laid his own body down for us. So when he said, I'm the door to these people, I'm the good shepherd, he was proclaiming his death. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Oh, he's going to lay it down. He's going to be the entranceway. He himself. He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Not only is he the door, but he's the one you can go in and out and find pasture. In and out and find pasture. Now that sounds relational to me. Is that a one-time thing? No. In and out. Relationship, relationship. Morning by morning. Evening by evening. Day by day. Again and again. He's going to be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Now remember, who's he looking at when he's saying this? Who's he looking at? The, what boy, the young man? The blind young man who's been rejected, who is emotionally shot, who his world is all over the place. And he looks at him and he says, you come to me. And you can come in and out. Although you've been kicked out of what? He was kicked out of the temple, right? That's why we have this story. He said, not here. I'm the door. And you're going to come in and out and have fellowship and relationship with me. And the rejection you felt, no more. The hurt and the pain, even your parents got a frog in their throat and said, oh, we fear the Jews. You're going to have to talk to him. Because when my father and my mother forsake me, the Bible says he'll take me up. In all that rejection of those new eyes and so excited to see, so excited about the new world, so many wonderful things and so many horrible things at the same time. Jesus brings and says right here, I'm the door. Come to me and that rejection will be over. Number three on your notes. Our identity in Christ is free from rejection. All right, as you can see, we have a baptism. I'm going to release the people that are getting baptized to go and change and get ready, and you can meet in the foyer after you're done with that. A couple of scriptures here. Psalm 121.8, let's look at this. The Lord shall preserve your going in and your coming out. And you're, you're, you're going out and you're coming in from this time forth. And for how long? Forevermore. Forevermore. Let's stand up. Come on, kids. We're glad you're here. It's Baptism Sunday.
One last scripture here, Ephesians 2. Come on in, guys. Come on in, front row. I got it just for you. Half of these are mine. <laughs> Ephesians 2.17. And he came and preached to Jesus. And he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have what? Access by one spirit to the Father, because he's the door. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers or foreigners. Any rejection complex you ever had, you do not have in Christ. But fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Amen? Amen? Doesn't matter where you came from, you have been brought near by Christ. Let's just spend one minute with Jesus before we do our baptism. I want you to reflect. I know, kids, you've been learning about Jesus, too you to think about this. He's the door. He's the one who laid his life down. Just quickly as we reflect about this. If fear is the normal condition of your life, Jesus wants to change that. He wants to change it. If there's no rejection in him, but his perfect love casts out all fear, he wants to change it. Let him do it now. Let him do it now. If you get aggravated with yourself or with others and you think that's the condition of the Father, frustrated with you most of the time, that's a lie. That's a lie. Remove it from your heart. Remove it from your mind and ask the Holy Spirit to remove it permanently. That is a lie. He is not angry with you or frustrated with you. That is a human emotion of weakness and sin. He is the perfect, loving, heavenly Father. And he is full of patience, full of patience. If he has to come down because Israel sinned and Moses broke the stones, he'll come down and proclaim, I'm gracious and long-suffering and write him again. That is full of patience. And he has that for you. Receive that. Receive that right now. No more are you to think of yourself as someone who frustrates God or he puts up with you he does not put up with you he loves you and then rejection that has no place in us no place in us let's pray we're going to ask the Lord to remove all of these things Lord I thank you for your word it sets us free it illuminates the darkness of our life. I thank you that your word is illuminating every part of our speech. We're not going to speak like we're rejected. We're not going to speak in fear. You've delivered us from that. Thank you, Lord, that you're full of patience. And we're not going to think of ourselves in any way of, of, of being someone who the Lord just puts up with. But the Lord loves. Oh, he loves. We thank you, God, that you're sealing that deep deep in our hearts, deep in our minds. And I ask the Lord to do it. And thank the Lord for it right now. Thank Him for it. Thank Him for it. In Jesus' name.
Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. All right, I'm going to whisper now. This is what we're going to do. We're going to sit down. When those doors open, y'all sit down. Excited to see you. Come in, come in. All right. Got some adults and some kids. The public confession of what has already happened in their heart. The public confession, baptism. All right, we've got some parents. I know they're going to stand with their kids. Got a couple of those parents, you can go stand. I always ask the fathers if they would like to baptize their children with me. That's a wonderful thing. As they have fanned and blown and sowed those seeds of faith, and we've watched them blossom and bloom right now. All right. Billy Joe, are you first up? Yeah, you're first up. Publicly, she came and says, I want to be baptized. I've given my life to Jesus, her and her young family. And this is just the, problem, the public proclamation of what God has already done. Chelsea, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Your precious Lord and Savior. I thought it was a mistake. I said, 
Her husband's a bit of a jokester. I said, he did this to her. That's what I thought. Dickie has done this to her. So I called her. I said, Billy Joe, you've never been baptized. She goes, no, not as an adult. She goes, I've always been so busy doing ministry. And every time there was baptism, I was in children's ministry usually. Now, come on. She was so busy about it. <laughs> oh, no, no. She was even asked this week for children's ministry. What a beautiful thing I was thinking about this. You know, when they couldn't find Jesus, and the, the parents were so freaked out, they finally found him at 12 in the temple. They said, what is the deal? Jesus said, didn't you know? I had to be busy about my father's saw all those years that you always put yourself in. That's honoring to the kingdom. Let's baptize Billy Joe this morning. Billy Joe, this morning we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our precious Lord churches are built. They're built by people who will say, I'll be here and I'll be, I'll be a pillar. I'll help hold the foundation while this thing builds and solidifies. That's this family right here. That's who they are. They're servants. They're precious children. Last year or two years ago, we baptized our oldest. Now we're on number two. <laughs> two down, two to go.
Savior. Talk to Eddie, his dad, and say, yeah, he's ready. He knows the Lord. It's a beautiful thing to see the Lord move in young hearts. All right. Parents have given their life to the Lord, raising him in a godly home. Amen, amen. We'll stand our feet and let's celebrate what God has done in their lives and what God is going to continue to do in their lives and in our lives, lives of this church. I needed rescue, my sin was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan, but you called me. Sing it out, church, sing it out. Thank you that you're doing a great work in our lives. We love you. We bless you. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day.